Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning together as a church and we worship you. We praise you, Lord, for every good thing that you do, every good thing that you are. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that you've given to us in and through Jesus. We receive him today. We receive you and your presence manifest in this church, in our homes as we come together around your word. We exalt you and magnify you. And we ask you, Father, to speak to us today. Speak to us so clearly that we, we hear it. We recognize your voice and a stranger's voice we will not follow. Thank you, Father, for opening up our eyes today, opening up our ears. And as we open up our hearts, we believe that we receive revelation today from your word that changes our lives forever. Father, we come into agreement as a body, as a family today concerning our nation, concerning the, the people in our nation. And we thank you, Father, for peace. We believe we receive your peace, your miraculous peace that passes all understanding. Peace when it makes no sense to have peace and still we have it and we thank you for it. Jesus, you are our Prince of Peace. And so we, we pray over anybody and everybody, Father, who's made place and made room for you in their lives today across our nation and even those around the world, Lord. We ask you to move in, set up your throne, make yourself at home and manifest your peace among your people. We received that same peace at work today in this church and in our homes and in our lives. We thank you for it. We give you all the praise for every good thing that you've done, all the great things that you're doing and the greater things that are yet to come. We give you glory in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Good morning, Legacy Church. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for making time to, to make church a priority, not just something you add on to your life, but these things are priority for us. Us, man, we set first and seek first the kingdom of God and he adds to us everything that we need. What a good day it is to be together. And especially on this Father's Day, let me say happy Father's Day to all my fellow dads out there, fathers and grandfathers. You know, this is an awesome day to celebrate the goodness of God and to celebrate and honor Him as we honor you. I, I Sometimes I laugh, especially in church, the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day. Mother's Day is the day we talk about how great all the moms are. Father's Day is the day we talk about how great God is and how you dads need to be more like Him. And uh, sometimes it doesn't quite seem fair. So I will say, yes, God is a good God and He is a good, good Father. But if you are a man of God, then you've got that same goodness on the inside of you. So if he's a good God and you're a man of God, you're a good man. I just want to encourage you with that this morning. You are a good man because the goodness of God is resident on the inside of you. And there's so many men in our lives, not just fathers, but people who have, who have been like fathers, father figures to us. And I know my own dad is an awesome man of God and I have nothing but the highest respect and honor for him and the way he led our family my entire growing up and then what he's doing even now, uh, serving the Lord and his, his whole life has been about seeking first the kingdom of God and what an awesome example that has been to me and to my sister, to our family and to the church that I grew up in. Of course, my grandfather, a man of God, a man of of honor, uh, a tender hearted man. I'm so thankful for my grandfather. And he is such an example to me of what life is supposed to look like. And I've always said this, as you get older, time 
does one of two things to you. It either makes you soft or it makes you hard. And the hope is that time doesn't harden your heart, but it softens you. And I've seen that in the life of my own grandfather. He's now in his mid 80s, 84 almost. And what I know about him now is that his heart is the softest it's ever been. He's more tender to the things of God. He's more tender to his family. And I just have nothing but the highest honor and respect for that. Sarah and I, we we love our fathers. Sarah's dad, Perry Hart, good man, awesome man of God, wonderful example to his family. We love you, dad. Papa Jerry, he's a good man too. We're just surrounded by good men, men of God. And I'm so thankful for the men that God has put in my life. And what an honor it is to be a father. And those of you who are fathers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the greatest honor, one of, I should say, one of the greatest honors of our lives to be entrusted with children and for the Lord to trust us with these little ones that he's brought into our lives. And the very most that you and I can do, we will be so productive as fathers if we'll determine to be faithful. The scripture says that it's hard to find a truly faithful person. It's easy to find people who will talk about how good they are, but a faithful man who can find. And if we'll just be faithful, just like our father is faithful, if we'll be faithful to be there when we're supposed to be there, to be present, not just physically, but in every way, spirit, soul, and body present with our families, then we will set examples for our children. We'll be training up children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So fathers today, we celebrate you. We honor you. Let me pray for you. Father, I come before you now and, and pray over all the fathers of Legacy Church, the fathers, the grandfathers. And I thank you, Lord, for good men, men of God, men of character, men of honor. And I pray your blessing on them today, Lord. I ask you to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on them that there's not even room enough to contain it. And Lord, cause us to live with this awareness of what an honor it is to be a father and a father after you, one that's like you. So teach us, teach us to be good the way you're good. Teach us to be patient the way you're patient. Teach us to be kind and merciful the way that you, O Lord, are kind and merciful. We celebrate you today, Father, the greatest Father that ever has been, that ever will be, and it is our joy to call you Daddy. Thank you so much for the good things that you do. We love you and we worship you. and We bless our fathers today in Jesus' name, amen. We've spent some time together worshiping the Lord this morning in our singing, and I want to do like we always do, continue to worship Him with our giving today. And if you brought your Bible with you to church, I want you to open with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4. As we prepare to sow and to give this morning, let's look at Philippians chapter 4. And I want to look at verse 10 and read a few verses here together. Philippians 4.10 begins and he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity, he said. Opportunity is one of the greatest things that God has ever given to mankind, opportunity. Now he's never made anybody do anything, but he has created opportunity. He didn't make you make Jesus the Lord of your life. He gave you opportunity. He gave you opportunity when you heard the word preached, when the message of salvation came into your life and you responded to it, you acted on that opportunity and you made Jesus the Lord of your life. One of the greatest gifts he's ever given anybody 
is opportunity. And what Paul is saying here is that this church that he's writing to, this whole letter he's writing is in response to an offering that they had sent to him. And he's saying, I'm so thankful that your care, your love for me has flourished again. So that's an indicator that offering is a demonstration of love. Well, you knew that, right? God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is is one of the chief expressions of love. And that's what he's saying to these people, your care, your love for me has flourished in this offering. And he's saying, I'm so thankful you did it. Uh, Though you did care, you just lacked opportunity. And see, every time we come together on a Sunday morning like this, every time we receive the offering, we, we look at it from the word of God, what it is, is opportunity. It's not me putting pressure on you. It's not me begging you. It's not me trying to obligate you to do something for me or for this church. No, all this is, is opportunity. So he goes on and he says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need for I've learned in what in whatever state I am to be content. In whatever state I'm in, he said, I am content. I've learned how to do that. That's why he says in verse 12, I know how. Won't you say those words, know how. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how. You see that? He said it again. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul's saying, I've learned how to do this. And because I've learned, I now know how. Now, know-how is one of the most, um, most precious, priceless things that anybody could possess. Know-how, know-how in any given area or arena of life. When you know how to do something, Let me say it to you like this. People who know how get paid by people who don't know how. Now, you could apply that to anything. Do you want to know why I have to take my car to a shop here in town anytime something goes wrong with it, anytime something's coming apart? Why do I have to take it to that guy? One, two reasons. One, I don't know how to fix it. And two, he does. And that's why I pay him. See, know-how is precious. Know-how is priceless. It's valuable. And what Paul is talking about here is some of the most valuable know-how that any of us could possess. He said, I know how to abound. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to be hungry. I know how to be full. I know how to abound. I know how to suffer need. Now, there's a lot of us that listen to that and say, well, look, I, I... I already have the know-how when it comes to suffering need. I know all about that. I know all about being abased. Well, just because you have some experience with it doesn't necessarily mean you know how to be in the middle of that. The short answer is you do them both by faith. No matter what state you're in, you, you are to be, you are to exist in that state by faith. Now, what he's talking about here is, for lack of a better way to explain it, kind of a cross-country trip from one state to another. And we're all 
moving towards the state of abounding. That is God's plan. That is the will of God for our life. To be, to abound is to not just have the need met, but to overflow. And that's the kind of life that Jesus said he came that you and I would have to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. It's the same word. Too much of it, an overflow of it. Now you may not be there right now, but you are according to the will of God, and if you're pursuing the plan of God for your life, that's the state you're headed towards. You're on this cross-country trip. You may be in the state of abased, but in Jesus' name, you and I are moving towards the state of abounding, where there's more than enough. But you do both of them by faith. And if you're in the state of, of being abased, where there's not enough, where it's a little bit tight right now, well, be in that state by faith. And say, Father, this may be where I am, but this is not where I'm staying. According to you and to your word, I'm coming out of this state and into the state of abounding. Jesus came that I have life and have it more abundantly. And you be in that state, but be in it by faith as you move out of it. But then he said this. He said, I, I've learned how to both to be full and to be hungry, uh, both to abound and to suffer need. And then in verse 13, he gives you the answer to how he does these things. Verse 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, how do you, how do you be abased? I do it through Christ who strengthens me. How do you, Paul, how do you abound? I do it through Christ who strengthens me. There is strength for you in whatever state you are in, in Jesus' name. Now he goes on and says in verse 14, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now that word distress, when you look it up, it literally means tightness. Uh, it means straits. Uh, you see this word connected to it, afflictions. And he said, you did well to share with me in my distress. So Paul was saying, hey, I know what it's like to be abased. I know what it's like when it's tight. I know what it's like when there's a little more month than there is money. And he said, you did well to share with me in that. In other words, you, in your generosity and in your giving, you helped me, Paul said, when it was tight, when I was restricted. And that's what he calls distress. And that's what he called affliction. That's not of God. It's not God's plan. It's not God's will that you and I would be tight, that you and I would be restricted. Again, his plan and his perfect will for us is more than enough. The scripture says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, he delivers him out of them all. So if you're experiencing affliction in your finances, the Lord's good because he will deliver you out of that tightness, out of that restriction, out of that affliction. And Paul went on to say in verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, this stirs me up when I realize that Paul was in the state of being abased. He was in that state where it was tight. He was restricted. Uh, it was aff afflicted. And in one offering... He went from the state of being abased to the state of abounding in one offering. What a miracle that is. 
What an amazing thing that is to think that a group of people, a church like this one, you through your generosity, through your spirit led giving could take somebody out of the state of being abased. And it's like an instant cross country trip into the state of abounding where there's more than enough. Glory to God. That's the state we're headed towards. Amen. That's the state we're moving towards in this church. And in Jesus name, I believe that's the state you are moving towards in your own home. Not where there's uh, not enough, not where there's just enough, but where there is more than enough from a based to abounding, from running out to running over in Jesus' name. Come on, give God praise for that. If you believe it, say amen and stand on these scriptures and know that whatever state you're in, you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Glory to God. Now, I want to give you a quick update on where we are in the building. Of course, you know this by now. I'm coming to you from the sanctuary here at Legacy Church, Green Mountain Falls, Colorado. We know we've got many people who are a part of this church who are watching service. But I also know that there are people from other places across the United States, places around the world who are tuning into church. And we want to welcome you. I want you to always know that you're welcome right here at Legacy Church. This is the household of faith. This is God's house and his family. And you're a part of it. And there is a place for you in it. And I was quickened on the inside as I was preparing for church to speak to some of you who are watching from other places, maybe other places in the United States, maybe other places around the world. And I want to tell you something. If the Lord is stirring your heart about being in this place with us, don't ignore that. Now, I know that's not everybody, and maybe I'm talking to one person, but I need to be obedient to the Lord and say this. If the Lord is stirring you about being here, being a part of the launching of this church and the growth of this church and this local church that has a global call, then stay open to that. Listen to him as he leads you. And if this is your place, then come get in it. So important that you and I be in our wealthy place. What is a wealthy place? That's where you prosper, spirit, soul, and body. And we believe we found our wealthy place. We're seeing it happen right in front of us. God has been so good to us in helping us with the, the buy up and the build out of this entire place. Good things are happening. Progress is, is taking place all the time. As a matter of fact, we have had volunteers uh, come out over the last several weeks. I can show you uh, if, we've, if we've got some pictures, uh, but listen, we've got opportunities that are coming up for you to come get involved and man, put some paint on a wall, lay some carpet, pull some weeds in the flower beds, just something to put your hands on the things of God and seek first his kingdom and watch as it opens the doors of heaven to you. So uh, good things are happening. It's a 30,000 square foot facility. We're believing God for $100 a square foot. We believe that when that's accomplished, we can get these doors open, if not sooner, and then begin to welcome people, welcome families from our community and places around the world to come to church. Last week, when I updated you, we were at 24,561 square feet paid for. In the last seven days, we've had another 108 square feet paid for, glory to God. That puts us at 24,669 square feet, 82.23% complete. We are making awesome progress and every day it's coming in and every day it's coming 
coming in. We are, we, man, we left the state of abased a long time ago and God is bringing in, us into this place of abounding and we thank him for it. So if you want to be a part of this offering today, you certainly can be. There are a number of ways you can get involved. Uh, since you're watching online, you can give online. If you go to legacychurch.family, the giving options will be there for you. We've got a giving page. It's safe. It's secure. And uh, what you're going to see on that page are two options. You can give to the buy up and build out project. And if you designate it there, that's where it will go. It'll help us as we progress towards this mark of being able to get the church open. There's another option for you on that page as well. It's the general operations of the church. That's an excellent place to sow with everything going on in the building. Just sowing into the general operations is an excellent thing too. Not only do we operate the day-to-day ministry out of that and take care of our staff and and do our television ministry, not only do we do those things and others, but we also give more than 10% of what comes into that general operations of the ministry goes right back out into the lives of other ministers and ministries, people around the world. So when you give into that uh, account, you're also being a blessing to other people in other ministries as well. You can uh, text your offering today if you'd like to do that. Just text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950. Legacy, any dollar amount to 28950. Or if you'd like to write a check, you can do that as well. Make it payable to Legacy Church. Uh, If you'd like that check to go into the buy up and build out project, you can mark that uh, in the memo portion of your check and then use the address that you see right now on your screen. Father, in Jesus name, we pray over the people today as they give. We thank you for it. We receive it and we call them blessed. We speak your blessing over their life, Father, and I'm asking you to use their seed that they're sowing into this church and into this ministry as an open door of access for you to go to work in every area of their lives. And Father, I ask you to receive it today. I ask you to receive not just their financial seed, but the faith and the love that they're sowing with. And Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. You are just, Lord, and you see that. You receive it and you open up the windows of heaven above them to pour out a blessing so big, so much that there's not even room enough to contain it. Lord, you are that good. We call you faithful in Jesus name. And church, we speak over you today. We say, rise up, advance, and may the goodness of the Lord be seen in your life in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, I want to take some time today and get into the word of God together. Uh, we have been looking for a number of weeks now in the book of Romans chapter 12. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me one more time. Romans chapter 12. The Lord has been so faithful to, to speak to us and to speak to us through his word. And this is not something that's just reserved for ministers or missionaries. Anybody, any believer can and should hear the voice of God. And I don't mean that like you hear something outwardly. I don't mean that you hear some booming voice that fills up your room or your house. God can speak that way, but the way he chooses to speak most of all is through his word and by his spirit. And you have his word. You have access to the written word of God. So don't ever say again that you don't hear God speak. If you want to hear his voice, open the pages of scripture and let him begin to speak to you. This is God himself speaking to you. And we believe that every word of this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
And what else you have in addition to his word is the same spirit that wrote this living on the inside of you. You, if you are full of God's Holy Spirit, then you have the author of the book on the inside of you and he will speak to you here. He'll speak to you here and he will speak to you every single day of your life if you'll listen. So what we're doing right now, coming together in church this morning, turning everything else off, focused in on this. Why? Because we want to hear the voice of our good shepherd. That's who Jesus is, your good shepherd. And he said, my sheep know my voice. He said, I call them by name and I lead them out. Out of what? Out of whatever it is you're in that you need out of, Jesus is faithful and he'll lead you out. But notice how he does it. He does it with his voice. He does it with his word. This is why you and I have to take time just like we're doing right now and attend to his word. And in Romans chapter 12, I want to look again at verse two. This is where we spent our time over the last number of weeks. I think, what, eight, maybe nine weeks now. And it says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And I'll remind you again that that word renewing literally means renovation. Now that's something we're familiar with. We are, especially around here, because like I've told you, we've been in a renovation project for a long time now, but this isn't something that's just isolated to us. I guarantee many of you watching, you've been through renovation projects, be it in a home or an office building. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In a renovation project, you are moving towards the time where that old place, that old house, that old building goes through that process and comes out on the other end, totally transformed. And in many cases, unrecognizable to what it used to be. And that's the kind of transformation, life transformation that's available to us as believers if we'll renew our minds and renovate the way we think according to the word of God. On the other side of that is total life transformation where you could be completely different and totally unrecognizable to who you used to be. That's the goodness of God. And he said, if you'll be transformed by, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we've seen in verse three, the very next verse, that this is where he wants us to start in the renovation process of our minds, in changing the way we think. I mean, could a thought really be that powerful? Could what we think about actually be that powerful that if we would just change it, we could be completely different people? It is that powerful. So that's why in verse three, he's gonna help us begin this renovation project by saying, I say through the grace given to me, that tells us this is coming out of God's heart, not out of man's head. There's grace to say this. This I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you. This is for all of us. Nobody left out of this. I'm saying this by the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, not to think. So here he's addressing the way we think, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one 
a measure of faith. So again, he's talking to us about renovating the way we think. And he's starting right here with the way we think about ourselves. And there is a way that's common to man. There's a way, a natural way of thinking that has got to go through the renovation process. You got to rip some old stuff out and put some new stuff in for there to be this kind of transformation. And he says, I don't want you thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, but think soberly, think, think realistically, think according to the truth. And the truth is God has dealt to you and to me and to all of us the measure of faith. Now I want to skip down again to verse nine and keeping in mind that all of this is about a new way of thinking. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another. He said in honor, or excuse me, to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. See, in all the weeks leading up to this, we've talked so much about what we believe the atmosphere of this church, Legacy Church, Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, what this place is all about. And you've heard us say it before and you will hear us say it again, that what we want and what we'll have in this church is an atmosphere full of faith and love. Faith in Jesus and love for each other. And every church has a reputation, just like every person has a reputation. And some people's reputation doesn't extend much past their friends and loved ones. Some people have a reputation that extends a little further than that. Some people have a national reputation, even a global reputation. Well, churches have the same thing. Some churches have a reputation in their community. Some churches have a reputation in their city or their state. Some churches have a reputation that expands and goes across an entire nation. Other churches are known around the world. And Paul wrote in the book of Romans and he said to that church, your faith is heard of around the world. Now, every church has a reputation and this church will have one as well. And I'm saying what our reputation will be is one of faith and love. Faith in Jesus and love for each other. But according to these scriptures here, we're finding out more about what that looks like and that the love can't be a hypocritical love, but it's gotta be a love that's beyond just our words, but it's expressed in our actions and in the kindness that we show each other. Kindness is the part of love that you can actually see. It's not just words, it's action. It's love in action. And how do we demonstrate that? Well, that's what we've talked about for the weeks leading up to this. We demonstrate it in serving each other. That's why he said here that what's supposed to be going on in this church is that we're not lagging in diligence. We're fervent in spirit. We're passionate about this and we are serving the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? By serving each other. He goes on to say in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality given to hospitality. You may, be, uh, you may remember we talked about that a number of weeks ago, but that's going to be a big deal to us, to be hospitable to each other. That is to live with an 
open heart, to live with an open hand, to live with an open home, not closed off to people, but open, an open heart, willing for God to use you, an open hand, willing to sow and to give, an open home, willing to welcome in the stranger, to welcome in people into this church and maybe even into your own home and put the love of God on display. Come on, listen to me. This is who we are. This is what this place is all about. And you may have heard Sarah say it uh, last week when we were here together talking to you. She said, we will have in this church what we preach in this church. We'll have in this house what we preach in this house. In other words, we will have salvation here if we'll preach salvation. We'll have healing here if we'll preach healing. Why? Because faith comes when you hear the word. For there to be faith to be saved, you got to hear the word on salvation. You got to hear how much God loves you. You got to hear the high price that he paid for you. You got to hear that in Jesus, all your sins are washed away. You got to hear that in Jesus, you are the righteousness of God and old things can pass away. All things can be transformed and become new. And when you hear that, faith rises on the inside of you and you say, yeah, I want that. I need that. Jesus, be my Savior. Where'd that faith come from? It came when you heard. Faith to be saved came as the word on salvation was preached. Well, the same thing's true regarding your healing, the healing of your physical body. We will have that here because we're going to preach it here. We're going to preach it unashamedly, without compromise. We're going to preach it regardless of others' experience. We're going to preach it because we see it in the Word of God. And we will have it because we preach it. We'll have it because as we preach it, faith for it will rise. When you hear that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. When you hear that Jesus went to the cross and he carried your grief and he carried your sorrow and he carried your weakness and he carried your pain. When you hear that he blesses your bread and water and he takes sickness away from the midst of you. When you hear that he carried all of that faith to receive it rises on the inside. We'll have it because we'll preach it. But you've heard me say this over and over. Whatever's going on in this house, come on, help me out. It's supposed to be going on where else? Your house. You can have all of these same things in your house if you'll preach it in your house. Listen to me, moms, dads, your kids need to be hearing you preach this. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. Yeah, you may not stand behind a pulpit, but you are called to your own family to be a demonstration both in word and in action of the goodness of God. And if you want it in your home, preach it in your home. If you want it on display in the living room, preach it in the living room. Preach it in the kitchen. Preach it at night when you're putting the kids to bed. And when they hear it and they hear it and they hear it and they hear it, guess what comes next? Faith, faith to receive it. Man, you could have an eight-year-old full of faith in your house. So confident in the goodness of God. So confident in the faithfulness of God. Why? Because daddy preaches it all the time. Because mama won't shut up about it. You could have a 12-year-old in your house so full of the word of God, so full of the faith 
that it takes to receive the grace of God. And if we're good parents, what we do is we train them up in that and then we don't wean them off of us and onto themselves. We wean them off of us and onto their own relationship with God. We wean them off of dependency upon us and our goodness and we train them to be dependent upon him and his goodness, on him and his faithfulness. One thing I've noticed about children, and of course this is nowhere in the notes, sorry, we're just flowing here. But one thing I've noticed about children is they are the one demographic of people who do not struggle with big vision. You ever noticed that about a little kid? They don't struggle with big thinking. They don't struggle with big vision. Ask a five-year-old sometime what he's going to be when he grows up. And you might get a list of stuff. I'm, I'm thinking back on our son, Justice, who's 10 now, but at his kindergarten graduation. So what was he, five years old, something like that, six years old? At his graduation, the teacher read off everything that, it, the ch that every child said they wanted to be. And some of these kids, man, it was a list as long as your arm. This kid's going to be an astronaut and he's going to be a fireman and he's going to be the president and he's going to be a ninja. I mean, all of these things, one right after the other. And they don't struggle with the bigness of that. You don't ask a five-year-old what he wants to be. And you'll never hear him say, well, I'd really like to be involved in space exploration, but the, the, the budget for NASA is just out of control. And you know, the schooling that it takes to get there, I'm, I'm looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. And you're never gonna hear a five-year-old say that. You're never gonna hear an eight-year-old wrestle with the vision about what they wanna do. And I believe a big part of that is because for most of them, they don't give thought to meeting their own need. For most young kids, there's food there when they get up in the morning. There's clothes that are bought for them, picked out for them, laid out for them, and depending on how old, actually put on them. I mean, every need is met so much of the time without begging, without wondering where it's going to come from. And that's because of you, their parents. And you've taken responsibility to nurture them and to feed and to clothe and to provide. And that's, and that's the reason they don't wrestle with big vision is because they're not thinking about how to meet their own need. They don't start wrestling with vision until they start trying to meet their own need. Until you and I wean them off of us and then we say, well, okay, now you need to learn the value of a dollar and you need to meet your own need. That, that's not the way we're supposed to be instructing them. What we're supposed to be instructing them in is this is how you believe God. This is how you trust God. And you take them back through every instance in your own life, in your marriage, in your family. And you say, look, there was a time when in this family, we didn't have what we needed, but we came into agreement with each other. We found the scripture that promised us we could have more and have more than enough. And we stood on it and we sowed our seed and we were faithful and look what the Lord did for us. And then you say to your kids, he'll do the same thing for you and give them opportunity to believe God. What am I telling you? You can have in your home what you'll preach in your home. You can have it 
It can be the atmosphere of your house. Your house, not just this one, but your house can be one full of faith in Jesus and love for each other. And see, these two things have to be working together. We know from the scriptures what the Spirit of God said through Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that I could have faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I don't have love, my faith is nothing. Because faith works by love. In other words, your faith will work when you know how much you're loved. But it takes a revelation of how much you're loved for there to be any kind of operation of faith. Where there is no revelation of love, there can be no operation of faith. And that's what happened when Jesus was on the sea with his disciples and the storm arose around them and he was in the ship asleep and they woke him up and they said, don't you care that we're dying? You don't care. You don't care that we're dying? And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And then he turned right around to them and said, how is it you are so fearful? How is it you have no faith? Well, how did he know they had no faith? It was evidenced when they said, you don't care. Now, my friends, listen, you can accuse God of a lot of things. You can ask him a lot of questions, but I highly recommend that you never tell him that he doesn't care. Don't you ever question his love for you. The only thing he's ever done is love you. He's never stopped loving you. And everything he's ever done has come out of his great love and his great care for you. And when you know that, faith rises. Confidence in that love is what faith really is. And the same thing's true about your children. They, they trust that you provide because they know how much you love. And that's the way it should be. But there comes a point in their lives that we've got to tell them, hey, you know how much daddy loves you. You know how much mommy loves you. Now we love you to the moon and back. We love you with everything we've got. We love you with everything we are. And yet it doesn't even compare to how much your heavenly father loves you. And that's how you grow the faith of a child. You tell them how much they're loved. When Sarah and I went away together back in, uh, what would it have been, November of 2018, I think. And we, we actually came up here from Texas to Colorado Springs to seek the Lord and to pray. And we knew some big change was coming and we sensed that he was calling us up in this direction. We, we just rented a hotel room for a few days and we just sat in there and prayed. And we sought the Lord and we opened up our hearts to hear direction from him about the church. And even though on that trip, we didn't find this place, we didn't find the physical location, we did find out the, the heart and the mission and the assignment of our church. And not just for big church, not just for what takes place in, in an adult sanctuary, but what happens in children's church. And we sat there and we talked to each other and we said, what is, what's the one thing children need to know? What do they need to hear every service, week in, week out? What's the one thing that kids need to know about God all those young years as they grow? And what we got in our heart about it was they need to know this, their father loves them. Their heavenly father loves them. 
Man, if we will raise our children in that environment, faith will come easy. Man, faith will be no problem. Believe in God for big things, things that look impossible, things that have been impossible for everybody else. Man, that stuff will be easy if we'll raise up our children to know and to believe the love of God. If they'll, if they'll get so rooted and so grounded in the love of God, faith will come easy. I said, faith will come easy for them. Glory to God. We'll have in this house what we preach in this house. I just kept hearing Sarah say that over and over and over again. And you will have in your house what you preach in your house. Now, there's more to be said about that. We may have to wait until next week to get into it. But let me keep reading here in Romans chapter 12. There's something I want to focus on for a couple of minutes before we wrap it up today. Keep going. Uh, We were there in verse 13. This is what our church is supposed to be. People who distribute to the needs of the saints were given to hospitality. Verse 14, we bless those who persecute us. We bless and do not curse. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. That's what makes us a family. That's what makes us more than acquaintances. That's what makes us more than an organization or or an institution or a business. We're a family. We rejoice with the people in the family who rejoice. We weep with the people in the family who weep. But he said in verse 16, this is what I want to get to today. He said, be of the same mind toward one another. Now, again, remember, all this has to do with the renovation of the way we think. He's going after old, old ways of thinking and replacing them with new ways of thinking. So that's why I said in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Could that really be what he's saying? I mean, think about, think about the bigness of that statement. He is saying to a room full of people, a church full of people, be of the same mind. Now that's challenging anytime you've got more than one person. You got two or more people and that is next to impossible to get that many people all thinking the same thing and thinking the same way. But he's writing, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm reading it out of the Bible. Be of the same mind toward one another. Be of the same mind. I want us to say that out loud together. Say it. Be of the same mind. Now, this is not the only place this has shown up in Scripture. He said, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Does that sound exactly like what he said in verse three? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. It sounds like he's saying the same thing again. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Be, he said, of the same mind. Let me show this to you in another couple of places in scripture. Look at uh, 1 Peter with me, chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning around verse 7. Here he's still talking to family. He says, husbands, likewise, Dwell with them, your wives, with understanding. Now, this is not my message today, but I I want to make note of this. He said, husbands, 
dwell with your wives with understanding. You know, Satan is so tricky and he's so, he's so, such a deceiver. He's so subtle, but he has put this in the mouths of men and husbands for generations all over the world. Well, I just don't understand women. I could never understand women. Women are impossible to understand. But listen to me, husbands. God never called you to understand women. He called you to understand woman, one, the one he gave you. And Satan's got us thinking it's impossible to understand, but the scripture says, dwell with them with understanding. Dwell with them with understanding. You, this may be big news to somebody today, but husbands, you can understand your wife. You can understand what motivates her. You can understand what makes her tick. You can understand how she thinks. You can understand everything there is to understand about her if you'll do it by the Spirit, standing on the Word of God. That's a different way of thinking, isn't it? That takes some remodel and renovation of, the, of our minds. Husbands, likewise, uh, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. He's talking about the atmosphere of our homes. He's talking about the, the air we breathe at home. To live with understanding, that, that's breathing the atmosphere of love for each other. And the result, he says, is that our prayers won't be hindered. But notice what he said in verse eight. Finally, all of you, husbands, wives, all of you be of one mind. One mind, not two, not three, one. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. Sounds just like what we read in Romans 12, right? Through brotherly love, being kindly affectionate to one another, be of one mind. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. That sounds just like Romans 12, right? Blessing and not cursing. He said, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Be of one mind. Say it again. Be of one mind. Not two, not three, not a bunch of minds. One Mind. Now, let me show it to you again. This isn't the only place. Go with me to Philippians chapter two. Paul writing again to this church and he said in verse one, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, he said, by being like minded. See, so saying the same thing again. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Be of the same mind. That's the same way of saying that. Be of one mind, the same mind. He said, let nothing be done, verse three, through selfish ambition or conceit. I think it's the King James that says, through strife or vain glory. Let nothing be done in strife. Let nothing be done in vain glory. What's that? In an effort to glorify yourself, in an effort to be seen by other people, to be seen and noticed by everybody. He said, do everything in love, 
and let nothing be done through strife or selfish ambition. Let nothing be done motivated by and in pursuit of public praise and gaining a high esteem and an opinion in the eyes of other people. He said, that's not your motivation. Change your mind. Change your mind. Renovate the way you think about that. And if we're honest, we got to recognize that that is the way most people think that they are motivated in this life by how they can get noticed, how they can get promoted, how they can get ahead, how they can be added to and increased. And it's like, well, what's wrong with that? Everything, everything. That's not the way we're supposed to be thinking. That's an old way of thinking. The new way of thinking is not what you can do for me, but what can I do for you? Let everything be done through love, love for each other. Be of one mind, he said. Again, verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. What is lowliness of mind? It's the opposite of high. It's the opposite of of thinking high of yourself, of being high-minded. We're supposed to be in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Now, this is the mind that we're all supposed to have. The one mind. This is it right here. That we esteem each other better than ourselves. He said, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You may remember Sarah saying that what ministry is, is it's being attentive to the needs of others, not being needy of the attention of others. And Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. What's he saying? I came to attend to your needs, not to have you attend to mine. And when that is going on in a place and when that's being preached in a place, guess what's next? That's what you have in that place. And before you know it, you got a room full of people who are all looking out for each other, who all want to meet each other's needs, who are all trying to buy each other lunch, you know, who are all trying to get outside themselves in an effort to serve each other. Do you realize that, take for example, one area of the church. If you were to, to serve in our children's ministry, for example, maybe you don't know anything about preaching to kids. Maybe you don't know anything about working with kids. Maybe you don't even have kids. Maybe you've never even seen a kid. Well, you've probably seen a kid, but you've got it on your heart. I'm going to go serve in the children's ministry. Or somebody said, hey, this is where we need you. Will you come help here? And, and you know what? I, I think I'll probably use this example because that's where I started. As a teenager, uh, I started serving in the four and five-year-old class of my parents' church. I think I was in junior high. And I didn't know anything about working with kids. It just, I remember where I was sitting in youth group the day they asked for volunteers and it's like my hand just went up and it was like, what are you doing up there? But I just volunteered and they put me in the four and five-year-old class. And I so fell in love with that. Seriously, I would come home every Sunday after church with bite marks on my arm from this little kid named Cole who was 
he, well, he bit my arm. If that tells you everything you need to know about him. I mean, he, he just had tons of energy. He was hard to keep still, but my heart just fell in love with little Cole. And I just worked with him every week, week in, week out, all the way through that class. I remember one little girl came to class when I was in junior high. She was about, probably about five years old. Her and her family were uh, from Eastern Europe and they just moved, I believe, to come to our church and to be part of the ministry there. And they said, her name is Anna and she's gonna stand up and sing. And she sang, um, Oh, the Blood of Jesus. And she sang it in Russian. And I, it, her voice was so beautiful, even as a four-year-old. And I remember that little girl being in that class and growing up in that class. And then of course she got older and left that class, but her and her family stayed at our church for years and years and years. And I got to watch Anna grow. And then Anna became a teenager. And then she was a teenager in my own youth group. And then she led worship alongside Sarah in our youth ministry together. And just to get to watch these kids grow and watch the call of God on their lives develop and to get to be a part of that. But what you don't realize if you step into say an environment like that, what you're doing is not just serving that child, but you're serving that child's parents. What you're saying is, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to show your child the love of God while you go hear the word. I want to give you the next hour, hour and a half to go get fed. When you could be in here being fed, you could be in here singing and praising and worshiping and hearing good preaching, but what you're doing instead is because of the love for the people in the church, you're saying, I want to serve you. Let me serve your family. And it's not just because you love a child, but it's because you love the Lord. It's not just because you love another person. It's because you love him and he loves you. And this same mind is getting built into every single one of us. Be of the same mind. We need to begin to wrap this up. But he goes on and says in verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now you could hold your place here. Now you don't have to turn and look at this, but let me, let me read it to you. It's in first Corinthians chapter three. We won't take time to read all of this, but chapter two and chapter three are really powerful. Paul's writing to this church and he's helping them understand the difference between being a natural person and a spiritual person. And the big difference that he draws in these verses is the difference in the way we think. He says in here that, the, that spiritual things are not received by natural people. They're foolishness. They don't understand it. But as spiritual people, we mind the things of the spirit. And, and, um, Oh, I'm in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, going down into chapter 3, he said, oh, help me, Lord, where's a good place? He said in verse 11, he said, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we've been freely given to, that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. You see, there's a difference between all of this. 
He said, in the words that the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? See, he's talking about the mind of a spiritual person and how it's different from the mind, the natural mind, somebody who just lives according to the natural. The mind of a spiritual person is just simply aware of the things of the spirit. And what he says here in verse 16, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But notice what he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, I love that he said we and not I, right? Because if Paul had written and said, I have the mind of Christ, we all have been like, ooh, wow, you're special, you're unique, you've got something that the rest of us don't have. But he didn't say I, he said we. That means he's talking about you, he's talking about me. We, as born again believers, filled and full of the Holy Spirit of God, we have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? It is a renovated mind. It is a renewed mind that doesn't just think naturally anymore, that doesn't just think, what can I do for me? How can I promote me? How can I increase me? How can I benefit me? That's the old way. Come on, demo that, that mind. You got to get rid of that and replace it with this. What can I do for you? What can I do to bless you? What can I do to serve you? Jesus, what can I do to be a blessing and to show my love for you and your people? We have the mind of Christ. Now, maybe you've made that confession before, and that's a good thing to say, I've got the mind of Christ. That says that you can comprehend, you can understand that nothing is too much for you. You, you have an anointed mind that is able to understand. But really what he was saying, let's find out from the scripture here in Philippians 2, what it actually means to have the mind of Christ. Are you ready for this? This is what it is to have the mind of Christ. Verse five, Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is the mind of Christ. So when you say, I have the mind of Christ, this is what you're saying, that I'm humble that even though I am created in the likeness and the image of God, I just like my savior will take on the form of a servant and I will humble myself. Jesus humbled himself, it says in verse eight, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, how did Jesus get exalted to that place? that highest place, that highest seat of authority. How did he get there? Huh? 
He did it by humbling himself. His promotion came as the result of his humility. His, his exaltation came but only after he humbled himself. And that same promise is made to you and to me in the scripture that if we will humble ourselves, we will be exalted. Humility is our path to promotion because service is what makes you somebody. You want to be somebody? Serve somebody. You want to be somebody? Serve somebody. Now, I like this because it goes on in verse 19. Paul writing still here to this church in the same chapter. He said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Isn't that an amazing statement? To think of all the people that Paul knew all the people he knew through his ministry and through the different churches, all the people that he'd worked with and ministered with. He's writing to this church and he says, look, I'm sending Timothy because I don't have anybody else who thinks like me. I don't have anybody else who has this same mind. And what mind was that? He said, I don't have anybody like-minded who will sincerely care for you. Why? What's the next verse say? For all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, come on, this is on your screen right here. Look at it. As a son with his father, what did he do? Come on, help me out. What did he do? He served. As a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Timothy is forever recorded in the pages of scripture as inspired words of God. How did he qualify for that? He served. That was his path to promotion. And if you know anything about the rest of his life, he became the leader of the largest church in the world at that time, the church at Ephesus. How did he get there? He got there because as a son with his father, he served. And what Paul said is still true today. He said, I don't have anybody else like-minded. That's truly rare. So when the scripture tells us, be of the same mind, we read it from Romans 12. We read it from 1 Peter 3. We read it from Philippians 2 over and over and over. Be of the same mind, be of the same mind, be of the same mind. That's not Jeremy telling everybody at this church, hey, y'all need to think like me. No, no. I, I realize everybody would be easy to get along with if they all thought like you. Yeah, that would be easy, wouldn't it? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying we all need to have the mind of Christ. When we have his mind, then love is on display in this place. I want to leave you with one thought. And this is what's going to take us into next week together. Something Jesus said he said it in the book of Matthew, it's recorded in the book of Mark, and it's recorded also in the book of Luke. And we're going to spend some time looking at it next week together in church, but I want you thinking about it. Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Then he said a city or a house 
divided against itself cannot stand. Listen to those words. A kingdom, a city, or a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. Now, I see good news in that. It's a startling verse and it's sobering, but the good news that I see in it is if a house divided can't stand, a house undivided can't fall. And division comes into a house when there's more than one mind, when there's more than one way of thinking. Die vision, two different visions. And so what I'm saying for Legacy Church and what goes on in this house, what goes on in my house, Sarah and I's house, and what goes on in your house, let us be of the same mind. Because if we won't allow ourselves to be divided, then our house will stand. If we want any hope of this house, Legacy Church, this great house that God is building, if there's any hope that this place will stand and will continue and will not fall, then we cannot and we must not be divided. Because if Satan can deceive us, he can divide us. And if he can divide us, he can destroy us. But if he can't divide us, he can't destroy us. How do we keep from being divided? One mind, one mind, one vision. It doesn't mean we think exactly the same about everything. It doesn't mean we have all the exact same opinions. It doesn't mean we all like exactly the same thing, exactly the same way, but it does mean we all have the mind of Christ, which is one thing. I love you. I love you and I'm here for you. I love you and how can I serve you? That's the mind of Christ. And I promise you, if you come to church with that mind, then this place will be a place full of faith in Jesus and love for each other. If you wake up in your own home with that mind, if you come home from work to your own home with that mind, and that is the mind that is in your house, then your house will not fall in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Father, we thank you today for your word. We believe that we've heard from you and we ask you, Lord, to take these things that we've heard, root them down deep on the inside of us, cause them to take root, cause them to spring up, cause them to bear fruit. And we're declaring it in Jesus' name that Legacy Church is a place where the atmosphere is full of faith and love. And whatever's going on in this house, your house, Lord, we want going on in our house. So right now, let me tell you this, church, if, if the atmosphere of your home has been something other than faith and love. And you know it, you know it when it's not right. I know it when the atmosphere of my home's not right, but we can make it right. We can get it right. And we can do it so fast. We can do it with a decision. And it's just a simple decision. I'm not thinking that way anymore. I'm not thinking how I can get my own need met. I'm not thinking about what my wife can do for me, but what can I do for her? I'm not thinking about what these kids should be doing for me, but what I can do to serve them. If every person in that house is thinking, how can we serve each other? That place will be so full and overflowing with the love of God. People will come to your house and like step into the thickness of the presence of God. And they'll come to you and they'll say, how do I get what you got? Where do I go to get that? And you can say, you go to Jesus. 
Go to Jesus. And then you can say, come to Legacy. <laughs> I'll show you where I got it. An atmosphere full of faith and love. We got a lot more to talk about next week. So I want you to join us right back here again. Good things are coming. Great announcements coming just in the next few weeks. I know we've been saying that to you for a while, but work is happening. Progress is being made. And we're going to share some great things with you in the, in the coming weeks. Church, we love you so much. It's the joy and the honor and the privilege of our lives to be your pastors and to serve you with the word of God, to teach you how to, how to uh, walk by faith in the day of grace, to teach you how to experience a whole life prosperity and to teach you how to raise your family in the house of faith. We love it and we love you. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.